Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. I think travel in general, though, it is healing because of the because of the self-reliance that it inspires, because of the conversations it forces you have, because of the broadening of your perspectives, where it's just you, you realize that it's not all about you all the time. You just heard a clip from my interview today with Connor Knighton, who is an Emmy award-winning correspondent for CBS Sunday Morning, which is America's number one Sunday morning news program. And he spent a year of his life traveling to every national park in America. National parks, something I am so passionate about. I was so excited to have this conversation with him as he gets into his top travel tips for visiting national parks and how to avoid the crowds, some of the best off-the-beaten-path national parks to visit. And we talk about his quest to go to every park. What are some of the benefits of creating a singular mission around your travels like he did? He shares a story about how this trip began and how it ended which such a beautiful bookend to this quest that he completed. Of course, plenty of stories from the road and some amazing people that he met along the way. And if you've ever wondered how somebody ends up on TV getting paid to travel and to talk about travel, well, you're going to hear how that happened for Connor. All of that happening and so much more. Plus, I'm going to share my feelings around the importance of lazy days out on the road and my personal favorite off the beaten path national park it's all happening in this episode right now so buckle up strap in grab your favorite beverage relax thanks for being here and welcome to the zero to travel podcast my friend You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little bit of travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Talking national parks today. Some of my favorite places to visit in the entire world, and I have traveled, fortunately, to a lot of places, yet something magical and special about entering a national park. Even from the first moment you get to that 
classic wooden sign out front that says the the name of the national park. I always like to get my picture <laughs> next to that sign, typical tourist. And just getting out and exploring these beautiful landscapes and knowing this land has been preserved for future generations. That is why I think that the national parks tagline in some ways is America's best idea. I actually looked up, well, who first called the national parks America's best idea? And it was, according to the National Park Service website, nps.gov, writer and historian Wallace Stegner. He said, quote, the best idea we ever had, absolutely American, absolutely democratic. They reflect us at our best rather than our worst, end quote. And how can you disagree with that statement, right? I do believe this is America's best idea. And even just sitting here talking to you about this is giving me chills around my body. I think all of the experiences I've had and the memories and the smells and the sights, the history, all of it is just rushing through. I've had the uh, good fortune of traveling to many national parks over my time out on the road and getting to talk with Connor, I feel like I got I got to kind of revisit some of those places in some way. And you're going to get to visit some of them as well in this mini audio journey, I suppose. And of course, as I like to do with my interviews, we get into the backstory as well. How did this trip come about? For Connor, you may be surprised to hear why he decided to do this, what the genesis was, and how it changed him as a person. And... It's a wonderful chat. I had a blast. I know you're going to enjoy listening in on it as well. And stick around after the interview. I'm going to talk about those lazy days out on the road, why they are so key. And I will also share my favorite hidden gem, National Park. Now, let's get into my interview with Connor, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Carius and Bactus. Are you familiar with Carius oh, yeah. and Bactus? Oh yeah, Carius and Bactus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm somewhat great. obsessed. I just started with them. recording. I didn't oh, want to okay. miss any of this gold. So. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's a weird note to start on. So we can we can save our yeah, tooth troll know, discussion. I like to start. <laughs> I kind of like to start on weird notes. Um, Carius and Bactus are two tiny people, very tiny, that they can fit into your mouth, and they can uh, like dig holes in houses in your teeth. And in order to prevent that from happening, you have to brush your teeth very well. So exactly, yeah, <laughs> no, a, I, I love it's that. It's a that, like, total classic Norwegian story. It's everybody in Norway know. Where did you hear of from? Karius from a Norwegian Bakhtus? who was like, "Oh, you okay. better brush your teeth, or else Karius and Bakhtas will get you," or something like, like so, something in that context. We're like, like, oh, I have to remember after dessert to do this, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa back up. Who's Karius and Bakhtas? <laughs> You're <laughs> so, like, wait, then, wait, wait, what? Who's gonna get me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, Cardus and Bucktooth are haunting your dreams. Yeah, every, exactly. Uh, every time I'm like, every well, night I gotta brush my dead. teeth or else the Norwegian tooth yeah, trolls yeah. are getting me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The tooth trolls. That's a good name for them, actually. You summed it up in two words. <laughs> well, I guess we're not here to talk about the, the tooth trolls today, are we? <laughs> I mean, we can. I'm eager to learn. I just have nothing to offer. 
<laughs> we can. I'll, I'll give you a little intro here. I am so excited to welcome Connor Knighton to the show today. He's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Leave Only Footprints, My Acadia to Zion Journey Through Every National Park. You heard that right. You might also recognize him from his work as an Emmy award-winning producer on CBS Sunday Morning. It's one of my favorite shows. And you can learn more about him at ConnorNighton.com. So he's here to share his thoughts, perspectives, and advice on traveling to and through the gorgeous national parks of the United States of America, some of my favorite places in the world to go. So Connor, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Wonderful to see you. I wanted to start with the the Gauley River. Have you ever whitewater rafted the Gauley River? Only once, and I feel like a bad West Virginian that I haven't done that more. Typically, if someone's gone to West Virginia, it's it's for whitewater rafting or it's for something more depressing like Habitat for Humanity or something where it's like, oh, yeah, I went and <laughs> built houses there to help you. I mean, a, a noble endeavor, but uh, uh, n- not really a, a tourist uh, reason. Um, but the, what would attract a tourist would be, uh, yeah, the whitewater rafting. And then for skiing, if you live anywhere south of there, that's where uh, – uh, you may head as your your first stop on your way north to maybe more uh, more dramatic mountains. But uh, yeah, I've done it once. I mean, I grew up very close to there and actually New River Gorge is now the, the newest national park, um, which we can get into how all that happens, but formerly protected as a national river, recently rebranded as a national park. Um, so a little bit of a different origin story than a place that was a national park from the very start, this is more of a changing of the names on the sign, but still a good thing for West Virginia. It'll make more people go. Have you been? Is that why you're asking? Yeah. Well, I was a while ago, but I, when I knew you were from West Virginia and I started thinking about time I spent in West Virginia before, and that was one of the things I remember best is getting to do that. Now I didn't do it at the height. It's a, it's a big thing, I guess, when they pull the dam or something. It's this crazy, crazy whitewater yeah, adventure. Yeah, release the Kraken and out it comes, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like a, for whitewater rafters, I think it's like one of the the notches on the belt, you know, you, you got to get if you're into whitewater rafting. But were you a guy that always kind of wanted to bust out of your home state? You're like, when I when I get older, I'm, I'm getting out of this place. I'm going to see the world. Or were you, yeah, what was it like growing up there? Um, I mean, it was definitely, the exposure to nature came, uh, easy and and quickly um, in that, I mean, I, I lived in the woods growing up. And so I was always, whether it was places like the Gauley or just a, a, a little, you know, county park uh, in Kanawha County where I grew up, I was always, you know, outdoors, really developed a love of West Virginia. Um, I think, you know, as a kid who was very into pop culture, watching shows, you were always curious about these places you'd see on TV. Um, but it wasn't until I was 14 and got on a plane for the first time that my eyes really opened to everything that existed beyond West Virginia. So we took um, a, what I've come to learn is a pretty classic itinerary of some of, we visited all the national parks in the West. So we flew to Phoenix and we went to the Grand Canyon. We went to Zion National Park. We went to Bryce Canyon National Park and then some other areas like Lake Powell. uh, And, and that we might as well have flown to Mars as far as my 14 year old brain could process it. It looked right. just so different than everything I'd grown up around. Our family trip so far had been, you know, to, to Kentucky, to Virginia, to North Carolina. And, and that those places all look 
relatively uh, similar to West Virginia. Sometimes we'd go down to Myrtle Beach, but at least that's still a gradual progression where you're seeing the landscape change. So by the time you get to the water, you're prepared for it. Here, we got off that's the plane true. in Phoenix. Yeah. And I was just like, what? How is this possible? How are we still in the same country? Yeah. And so then that's really when the travel bug started for me. It would be years before I was able to realize those dreams. Um, uh, I, it was probably, you know, I took another flight maybe two years after that. And it was really only after college that I started traveling quite a bit more. But that was when I first realized what was out there to see. Yeah, it's so true what you just described that whole, the shock to the system, right? Of, the, you know, taking the plane over it all and then just being in a completely different environment is much different than the sort of the gradual change, right? It's yeah, just from undeniable. scenery, from temperature. I mean, just everything. You're wearing the wrong clothes when right. you get off the plane all of a sudden because it's it's 30 <laughs> degrees warmer than when you got on. Yeah, I find it interesting. I'm not going to play armchair psychologist here or anything, but I find it interesting that the, the big eye-opening travel thing for you was a trip, a national park itinerary. And then here you go years later, and, and so maybe there's some, some comfortable sort of I don't know, vibe there, but I, I, I'm with you on national parks in terms of the, it's such a deep experience to visit the national parks, I think, on a lot of levels. And, and I'm speaking from an American perspective. I, I, you know, I don't know what it's like as a foreigner. I mean, you're taking in the nature. I know what it's like to visit other national parks in other countries, but there's a certain connection, I think, with the uh, national parks in your homeland and knowing a bit of the history. I do want to get into all of the national park stuff, of course, because I want to get uh, some of your tips, maybe your top three hidden gem places uh, to go and, and some uh, gear recommendations and things like that for road tripping to these places. But if you don't mind, I want to just get a little bit more of your backstory too. Uh, I was wondering how you got interested in working on TV. You mentioned watching TV and seeing, oh, well, that's like a normal thing to see different places you want to go. Was the TV thing always a, a dream for you in terms of your career or how did that come into play? Yeah, I, uh, you know, growing up, I was very into the arts. I did a lot of theater and, and, you know, sang in the choir and stuff like that. And then, uh, moved out to LA after college, did a little bit of acting, um, with, with some small successes here or there. And then uh, there was a moment where I saw Anderson Cooper on CNN. This is about 2003, 2004. And for me, Anderson Cooper will always be uh, not from CNN, but from Channel One, which for your American listeners, I'd still say maybe even half of them have heard of that. Either Channel One you were forced to watch for six years of your life in junior high or high school, or you've never heard of it because it only airs in high schools. It is this closed circuit high school news network that with, with decent production value. So everything I know about the Gulf War came from a very young Anderson Cooper, who I think still probably had gray hair back then, um, telling us, you know, in home, <laughs> Mr. Franklin's homeroom. He's like, he's and, like the Steve Martin of news, isn't he? Always. Yeah. Which is great because now <laughs> as he gets older, he looks exactly the same. I mean, going gray early is kind of helpful as, as you get older. Um, it works out in the end. <laughs> it ends up working out. But that like, so at that point, that's when uh, it was just that weird moment of thinking, oh, whatever happened to Channel One? And wouldn't that be a cool job? It seemed like those folks got to travel all around the world. They they reported interesting stories. And so that's kind of what began my journey into nonfiction TV was writing a letter to Channel One News at like 22, 23 years old, which really even at that point puts me 
middle-aged in terms of who appears on channel one because it's targeted towards high school kids. It's a pretty young group of reporters they have on that channel. And so I think the person they thought was going to retire at 26 or 27 and move on to something else, that person didn't end up leaving. And so the job that I was auditioning for when they eventually called me in uh, after reading this embarrassingly long letter, uh, I ended up not it wasn't even on offer, but a lot of those people were going to start a network called Current TV, another channel that probably no one listening has ever heard of. But but that was on legit cable. That was on, you know, theoretically, every home in the U.S. had an opportunity to get it. Uh, and so I started at Current TV in 2005. Um, but with so that's when the TV began for me. The travel came much later. I was hosting a green screen clip show that looked a lot more like a Tosh.0 or the soup in terms of, of how it or a last week tonight, even, and that it was, you know, me with, with a green piece of cloth behind me. Um, and so CBS Sunday morning, the show I work for now, which is entirely field based. I mean, we do have a studio, but for all of the correspondents, we're all out in the world uh, reporting stories from, from all over the place. That's only been for about the last five or six years. Um, so that's, a medium length version of that story. I mean, in between, I've hosted everything from like a movie countdown show on AMC to game show pilots you will never see, where we just make a thing. I mean, someone makes a thing and then and then puts it in a vault somewhere to never air it, uh, which is absurd to me that that happens. So I've had all different versions of that TV experience, but I feel especially lucky now to have found a way to trick my job into paying for the trips that I want to take. Um, and so uh, to have travel baked into that is a newer thing for me, but the TV has been true for about 15 years or so in some form or another. But you eventually got to combine that passion, right? With your, with your travel passion. I did. Really cool. Yeah. And in some, I mean, the CBS Sunday morning, um, for those who may not be familiar with it, it's, it's one of those shows like a 60 minutes. It's been on forever. You know, it's the, it's the national Sunday morning show on CBS classic show, uh, airs early in the morning on Sundays, So, you know, it, it tends to have a bit of an older audience. Um, but what people come to it for are the types of stories that you're not going to see on a CNN or even on the nightly news. You know, it's, it's, they're longer packages, uh, in sometimes more obscure types of stories, arts, culture, travel, um, they can be serious, but we're not above doing five minutes on a toaster museum in the middle of nowhere. You know, it, 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 it's all types of those stories. Um, and so travel would always be a part of that gig, I think, for any of, of the correspondents who work for that show. But as I came to that, especially as someone who was on the younger end of who we would even have on air, I thought, well, what can I do that will sort of set me apart? And that was sometimes hiking a, a, a you know, a 12 miles to get to a story or, or flying across the world to get to one, something that maybe our more senior correspondents have done and are, are happy to not do anymore. I realized that that was both right. a, what I like well, to do. I can lot. take this one. Yeah. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, a, a, I mean, that probably could have been true for some other beats as well, but I just got lucky in that the thing that, that I enjoyed doing the most was also my way in where it was, you know, the, the types of stories that maybe celebrity interviews, we have a few different people who do those and, and those are, those are valuable and people love them and it's a, it's a different skill set. But I thought, okay, well, what do I like? I like going to these far flung places. Maybe I can, I can bake that into my role on the show. Yeah. It's really cool how you essentially crafted your, your own dream career as a journalist, so to speak, in, in some ways, right. Which is, I think, a, a very creative approach to, to work. I mean, may, you know, design something that works for you. And that I, I found that to be true 
it at this job and, and other jobs. I mean, it, it, I feel very lucky now. There are certainly periods I'm glossing over of like a long unemployment, um, and, and a lot of terror about what comes next, uh, moments where I was crafting the dream and, and no one wanted to buy that dream. I've had pitch meetings with, with all sorts of networks where I'm like, all right, this is the show. It's no reservations meets Sesame street or whatever. <laughs> and like, and they're like, thanks for coming. Here's your complimentary water. We'll validate you on the way out. Um, and so that's, I, I can't, I've, I've lost track of how many of those I've had. So the, it, it's one thing to craft it. It's another to get somebody interested in it. This was a, a situation that partially with, with the national parks pitch, which we'll talk about later, that that was sort of my way into a full-time thing with them. But um, especially with a show like that, there are a number of people who would be very happy to work on it. And so uh, to distinguish yourself, you sort of have to, to show, Hey, well, what, what can I, what can I give you? You're not desperate for correspondence. What can I, what can I offer? Um, what ideas can I give? And so it, uh, has, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like also you, you always made a concentrated effort to put yourself into position to have these opportunities, right? I mean, you moved out to LA so you could be around entertainment. I'm guessing you didn't, you know, you didn't stick around West Virginia and kind of cross your fingers and send out a few emails on a hope and a prayer. That's certainly a lot of a lot different culture in Los Angeles than West Virginia, I'd say. Yeah, um, drastically different. It made me realize that the kids I thought were rich in high school weren't rich at all. <laughs> like I get to LA and I'm like, Oh, that's actual rich people. Oh my goodness. Right. Um, Cause like every, every high school has its hierarchies and we, you know, we had some kids who like had a fancy car or whatever, but like that there was just a whole nother level of that, that I was exposed to in LA. Um, in some ways there's some similarities uh, uh, in that. Um, I mean, it was going to be LA or New York in terms of where I was going to move after college to pursue entertainment. I think that's less true now, especially right now uh, in pandemic times. But uh, but back then, that, those, those seemed to be the two logical uh, paths. And so uh, I think LA, at least because it's a driving culture, I mean, and there was somewhat equipped from that from West Virginia. So that was uh, a, a bit of a similarity that there's, there is access to nature out there versus in New York where that can be a little harder to come by. But yeah, still big culture shock. I mean, I was lucky to have a couple of friends from college who I roomed with and we just sort of were each other's support system. Um, but yeah, very, very, very different place. Yeah. Yeah. I talked to somebody from LA pretty recently and they were telling me how empty the roads are. And you know, there you could take like four hours to drive two miles. So yeah. That's like, the difference. You drive four hours in West Virginia. Some, you're in, you know, Ohio at that point, right. but like far into Ohio. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. If you could share a bit about the genesis of, of this trip. And I, I know you've shared this a lot in interviews, but it is very important how this trip kind of came to be for you in, in terms of, the story and the context of, of how you, how you were, when you wrote this book and, and what you were doing in terms of your TV production and everything, how did the idea come and where were you in your life at this time when you set yourself up to do this quest to do uh, all, every national park in a year? So the year in question uh, was 2016, which was the hundredth anniversary of the national park service. There are national parks that, that predate that Yellowstone was established long before that, but 1916 was when they finally created an organization to to supervise them all. So at some point in 2015, I had seen a news article about that. And that struck me as the type of story that we would do on Sunday morning. It's a perfect CBS Sunday morning story. Um, and then I 
I started to think about it more and I thought, well, you know what? That could be a whole year's worth of stories. The parks had to have uh, enough of, of you know, different types of stories to tell. And at that moment in my life, I was looking for a change of scenery, maybe not as dramatic as it ended up being, but uh, I had my plan for 2016 before national parks even crossed my radar was very different. I was engaged to be married. Um, I, you know, it was the week that the save the dates had come back in 2015 that my then fiance decided that she did not want to be my fiance anymore. And while that is no longer a, a, a sad memory at the time, it was devastating. You know, it was, it was this, this future that I'd envisioned, I think, especially given such a amorphous professional future where the, the trade-off you make in, in working in something like television is that it, it can be feast or famine and, and it's very tough to visualize what, what the future holds. And so for this brief moment, I did know what the future held, or at least what, what I thought it was going to hold. You know, I, I could all of a sudden in one aspect of my life, what I felt was the most important aspect, see 30, 40 years down the line. And so all of a sudden when that went away, yeah, it was it was uh, very sad, and and also I it was coinciding with a period of, if not unemployment, then underemployment. I was freelancing for Sunday morning, so I would do a few pieces a year. I had some other things for a local station, but I wasn't exactly crushing it on the work front, and so it it kind of coalesced into taking a big swing at this park idea where I thought, well, what? I need to move out of this apartment anyway. I can't afford it. We were splitting it, you know, the rent. And then all of a sudden it's just me there. And so at the very least I had to get out of that place. I was living in Pasadena, which is just on the outskirts of LA. Um, and so I, I went big. I decided to, well, well first of all, I, I sent this crazy pitch to work. Um, and remarkably they said yes, although not to every park. So at the time there were 59 national parks. So even if we did one every Sunday, we would have never gotten to all of them over the course of a year. Um, and so my boss rightly said, let's do maybe a third for work once once he got into this idea. And so then that's when I decided, well, if I'm going to go to a third for work, what if I just went all in on this? And so I, I packed up my stuff. I sold most of it. I put a little bit in storage, gave up my apartment, and decided to use the money that I had been spending to live full time in L.A., to live out on the road. And so in the times when we won't, where we weren't filming stories for the show, I would hit the rest of the parks on my own. If we're already going to Alaska, where there are eight national parks, and we might do three for the broadcast, then at that moment, my cameraman would fly home, I would stay and do the other five on my own, um, and, and cash in my Hilton points or get an Airbnb. And I really just, I just got very excited about that, uh, the idea of that. Um, and and it was it just was a cleaner premise. I think it would have been much more whiplash inducing if I was constantly flying back to LA in between these stories. Um, and so, yeah, they said yes. Although actually, I, I was all, I was off to my first park before they'd even said yes. I just got so excited about the idea of this that I was like, you know what? I'll do it. I'll find a way. Maybe I'll maybe I'll write blog posts on it. I don't know. I'll get uh, maybe Cliff Bar will sponsor me or something. But like, I'm doing this thing. So I. I started at Acadia National Park in Maine on uh, on New Year's Day of 2016. It's where the sun first hits the contiguous United States. Um, and so that felt symbolic to me in a way where I knew I had a busy year ahead of me. It seemed like it would be good to get a, a head start, even if that's a matter of, of a split second, which I'm sure it all is. Uh, Cadillac Mountain at Acadia National Park is on New Year's Day, the first place to see the sun in the contiguous U.S., and so from that moment, I was off and running. A few weeks after that's when work finally said, okay, yes, we will 
we will commission you to do these 20 or so stories for us. Um, and so then the rest of the year was, I was off and running, not, not necessarily hitting them in the order that a traveler would. And, and we can talk some about that uh, if you'd like, but it, it wasn't at some point that year, the wall street journal published a map of like how to do the best national park road trip. And that is not even close to what I did. You were the because, opposite of that. Oh, so opposite. I mean, it would be, and people have <laughs> sent, I mean, especially since the books comes out, people has, have asked me, Oh, could you send me your route or like, what was your itinerary? And, and First of all, I don't even really have that written up. I could reconstruct it, I'm sure, but it would just be so frustrating and unhelpful because I was constantly doubling back because I wasn't just chasing uh, the parks and weather and all the other reasons why it can be complicated to hit those. I was chasing stories. So there would be certain moments um, where you know a, a thing that I wanted to talk about at Great Smoky Mountains happens one day every year. So I'd have to make sure I was there for that. And then the week later, I was doing a story on a on an artist in residence at Mesa Verde, and so I was I was moving back and forth. But that that became the fun of it. Um, it was really uh, a really it was an all consuming but fun part of that quest. Yeah, what a beautiful way to start it as well with the sunrise and uh, just the the meaning behind that that you described. It's a must have been a powerful moment there, kicking it off and knowing in your heart of hearts that you're like, hey whether it works on board or not, I'm actually doing this thing. And, you know, it's one thing to come up with the idea. It's another thing to pack up your stuff, get rid of your apartment, commit to a year on the road when you don't really know where it's going to take you. Uh, what were some of your doubts and fears when you were getting ready for this journey? And did any of them come to fruition? Yeah. So I, walking down from that first sunrise, I was filled with this gratitude for a for a journey that hadn't even started yet somehow i just felt i felt pretty irrationally confident about it i mean i was definitely scared there would be all sorts of things i should be worrying about and later would worry about but in that moment i, I it just felt right um and i think maybe it's because i'd already given my notice to my landlord i, I it, it was almost too late to worry about oh my gosh what if this doesn't work because it, it's happening you know maybe, maybe i get eaten by an alligator in the everglades but this is this is <laughs> this is going on. I have, I have, uh, taken away some of the safety nets where I had to make it work. Um, but I, I, there were logistical questions of, I mean, looking at a map of them, which, which I probably should have done sooner in the process. I was like, Oh my gosh, they're, they're all over the place. There's one in American Samoa. There's there, there's, yeah, there's eight in Alaska, but one's Denali and seven you haven't heard of, you know, and, and a few of those are super remote. So just the how do I get to some of these places? How do I get to dry tortugas? Um, what's the cost of this going to be? I was very lucky that work was covering some of it, but like there was still going to be a substantial expense on my end. Could I afford that? Um, and then would I be able to find these stories? I was at the time a pretty untested correspondent for our show. I'd done some pieces, but never anything of this scale. And so I'd really sold a lot on, on my ability to do this. And then I started to doubt, well, will I be able to, I could certainly visit these places. Can I make five compelling minutes of television, you know, from one of these places who knows? So there were a lot of those logistical hurdles. Um, uh, some very boring things that developed up along the way of just like the, the technical nuts and bolts 
that, that everyone is dealing with now as people who are working remotely. But back then we were not a remote working show. You know, it was, it was very right, much a, you right. edit this thing in a bay in New York. And so sort of old school kind of, journalism, right? Exactly. Yeah. It is very much yeah. that where, I mean, the, the stories happen out in the road and then someone comes back and they all sit in an office in New York and everything else happens there. So that my version of this was happening you know, I was recording voiceovers in a, in a Hampton Inn in Alamosa, Colorado. I'm FedExing material back. There was just some materials, kind of systems-based things that hadn't been developed yet. Um, and then a bit of, like, injury fear. I mean, what if, like, you know, guy goes to two-thirds of the national parks and then breaks his leg is, is a particular, right. is a disappointing right, story. Right. And then I, like, sure. that would just sometimes enter into my mind of like, oh, gosh, what if I, what if I don't do this? But it was within two months I realized I was cut out for it. I think sometimes I've told this story to folks and they're like, oh my gosh, living on the road for a year, you must've been so lonely or it must've been so stressful. And like, I think your audience would be probably the audience who would least wonder that. But there are certainly folks who would be like, like how, how could you possibly, how, how could that be fun? Like, don't you want leftovers in your fridge and your own art on the walls? And like, how can you deal with that travel? And to me, that was the fun of it. So it, I wasn't sure, I never done a year like that before i'd taken like a three-week trip maybe um so but once i passed that three-week mark and certainly once i passed the three-month mark i'm like oh i've got this like this it it will the year flew by so yeah because it's really at a certain point it's not a trip anymore it's just settling into your new life your new everyday life right and did you find that that was the case i did and I, i had to remind myself that it wasn't a trip because there was certainly a temptation to do other adjacent fun things. So I passed through Graceland. I'd never been to Graceland before. So I'm like, ah, I gotta, I gotta hit Graceland on my way to wherever I was headed next big bend or something like that. And it's great. I'm glad I did, but there are so many of those things where I eventually just had to allow myself to have the kinds of days off and Netflix nights and, and just sort right. of decompression Re- a regular, days. like I'm going to do my laundry and just hang around and, and read exactly. A book. Instead right. of being like, well, when will I ever be back to Moab? I've got to go do this thing. You know, like I, I allow those laundry days became my saving grace where it was the days off where, and it, it took a while to, to give myself those, um, just, uh, and I, I think I struck the right balance, but it was always tough to know, when should I maximize where I'm at? And when should it just be a lazy day in Anchorage and go to a TGI Fridays or something across from my hotel, just cause it's easy and not need to seek out the best halibut in Anchorage. You know, that was, that was fine <laughs> to give myself permission to do that sometimes. That's a, uh, the traveler's rebellion, right? A traveler being a rebel. It's like, forget it. I'm not, I'm not going to seek out the most authentic local food. I'm going to McDonald's. And that's it. Yeah. There was a, there was a point where, <laughs> midway through the year where I joined the Chili's rewards program. Um, and often in those spots and I resisted that for a while cause it did feel well, dude, they're, they're always like, near Hampton inns. They're always near. Hampton yes. Inns, I would they? love to, you know what? There's they probably are. some sort of like real estate conglomerate thing there where that's, there that's not be, a coincidence. Right. But it's often the best reliable spot in a small town like that. Again, I'm sure that there's more authentic food in, in, in Alamosa or Carlsbad, New Mexico or whatever. But like after a day full of just constant newness, 
there was something weirdly comfortable about occasionally getting a skillet queso and chips. <laughs> and, there you, you go. Know, just yeah. In the familiar world of a, of a spot where I didn't have to make more decisions than head on Yelp. I had some lovely authentic food throughout the year. Um, and, and that's the bulk of what I did. That's what I seek out. I like that stuff, but it was still nice sometimes to come back to something comfortable. Yeah. Sometimes it's nice to have a little fajita home base. That's what you want. A you little know? fajita home base. Give a me a little chocolate lava cake. Let's call it a night. <laughs> Give me those points. I'm coming back for the free guac next week. Uh, how do you deal with uncertainty? Because, and maybe I'm looking for some advice here for others that are listening, because there's, as you mentioned in your career, there was a lot of uncertainty with freelancing and trying to build things up. And of course, the entertainment career, uh, industry is is that way there's a ton of uncertainty right and also with a trip like this like as you mentioned in the beginning you don't know how things are going to work out you don't exactly know how you're going to complete this quest how do, how do you deal with uncertainty what advice would you give to somebody else that's thinking about doing something pretty grand and that's it, that's all subjective right grand to one person might be a smaller trip to another it doesn't matter if you're feeling that uncertainty and it's holding you back how how do you recommend people kind of work through that This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Yeah, and I guess there's there's sort of two strategies and I I practice both in equal measure. One is the, that naive, I guess, uh, uh, optimism of walking down that mountain at Acadia and being like, it's going to work out. It will having that faith, um, 
is is helpful, maybe even uh, in spite of signs that it might not. The flip side of that is is planning ahead for the uncertainty. So in career terms, in that feast or famine mode, I, I would say, I would know that I was working, I still am like this, where I'm working in a very unreliable industry because they're putting me on TV next Sunday it does not mean they're going to do that the Sunday afterwards. You know, it could all go away. And so spending and living like it's not going to go away is unwise. And I've always been that way. So whether that was uh, a check from a, an early acting job in LA or just, just anything, I was not over spending um travel would always be my priority if you could accuse me of, of dropping too much on anything it would be to take you know a fun week international trip or something like that but um so so it's a mix of having faith uh in in things working out having having faith in your abilities i think the, the it also helps the more you do it like that first or second time is very scary and by the time you get to the 10th time of something that feels uncertain, you're like, okay, well, you know, the other ones worked out. All right. I was fine. You know, this will be fine too. It may not be exactly what I envision. Um, and then being flexible, I think, I mean, even my whole career path has sort of been that way where I was auditioning for like guy number seven on the OC, you know, in soap operas and stuff in LA when I first got there. And like, it was okay. It was, it was uncertain. And, and I, I pivoted from that to a world that that felt like it played a little bit more to my strong suits, you know, where it was still an uncertain crapshoot, but at least if you could think of a good idea or if you could write or be quick on your feet, you know, that, that matters a little bit more in the nonfiction TV world than the fiction world, at least at the level that I was uh, at in that world. And so, yeah, being it's a combination of flexibility optimism and sort of self-delusion probably of thinking that it'll work out and then planning ahead and then responsibility of i've seen people crash and burn because they're like it's gonna be fine i'm quitting everything and like yeah like it, it, it helps to like have a bit of a safety net before you do that yeah i agree with you it's this balance between sort of the practical mind and whatever one would define it, right? Some might define it as a, a, a spiritual element. I'm going to trust that the universe is going to help me out in, in these times, or it could be faith-based, or it could just be intuition, or whatever you want to call it. I do think you need that piece as well, because, well, otherwise, your practical mind can talk you out of anything, right? It's just like, if if you want it to. And it it's, it's usually doesn't lead to cool things happening, like spending a year going to a national park all the time and then just spending all your time there like sure. you got to. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about the framework because I I always find it fascinating when people create you could call it a quest or a mission around their journey and I'm wondering how this maybe enhanced your journey like what are the pros and cons of a trip having a singular mission? like yours did, as opposed to just throwing your stuff in the car and being like, I'm just going to see a bunch of national parks and take the year to travel around. And I know some of the work plays in for you, but just from a travel perspective, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it was, I mean, it, it narrowed my focus as much as you could. I mean, it's both, (laughs) I mean, it's narrowed to like, oh yeah, to however many millions of acres of land, you know, spread out all across the country. It was was still pretty, pretty broad. Um, it it did, uh, but I don't know. I, I think it sort of kept me in that mode and mindset, uh, throughout the year where, uh, I think when you're on a more traditional trip, 
you may have your city nightlife nights, you know, and then you may have your, your take a, a bus to, to do something more naturey. And I was sort of always in that naturey mindset. It helped from a packing standpoint. I mean, there, there was a while there where I was driving around with like a business suit and a wetsuit, both in, in my car, <laughs> thinking like, okay, maybe I'll need either of these. The wetsuit I did, right. the business suit. I that's don't know that's what when I you know you're got a, on a cool gig, right? When you got yeah. a business suit and a wetsuit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although the business suit ended up going unworn. I think I had these fantasies right. where like, I don't know, the mayor of Nashville was going to like, take me out to de- I don't know what I thought was going to happen but like you were going to get the key to the city it was going to yeah. be in a big velvety case and right. yeah. <laughs> so I, I learned some along the way but um I think from a storytelling standpoint so so not this isn't quite answering the travel question but like it it did help me find stories that we wouldn't find otherwise I think to pick a location first was helpful um to find stories that that were uh were unique and were undercovered. Um, I think the natural inclination is to like read the newspaper, read a thing and be like, Oh, huh, that's a thing. We should do something on this. And so here to pick the place first to say, all right, I am doing a story on great sand dunes national park. Now let me find what's a thing special about it. Um, I think led to some better stories to, to pick the place first and then, and then find the story second. Um, Cause for example, great sand dunes is the, one of the quietest places in the country. That's not like, news you're seeing in the newspaper each day you know it's, it's a fact it's true but uh i don't know if that would have ever come across my radar otherwise but then all of a sudden realizing that it made it an interesting meditation on sound and the value of quiet and i i called the the park service has a natural sounds division based in fort collins and talked to them so all sorts of things that i probably wouldn't have come across uh, otherwise if i was just consuming news that was sent to me um so that that became my focus was was chasing those stories i think just seeing the parks themselves. There are people who do that trip, uh, more and more people every year who do that trip. Uh, but I'm glad I had the secondary mission of, of it also let me talk to people I wouldn't have talked to otherwise. I think, uh, going on a beautiful hike is very valuable. That's how most people experience a park, but are they talking to the, the biologist who's dedicated the, or what is his title? He's an aquatic ecologist who's dedicated his life to the devil's hole pupfish, one of the rarest fish in the world that only lives in Death Valley. You're never seeing that as a tourist. So for me, that framework was both interesting professionally, but then also it really did enhance my visitor experience because uh, I I had a reason to approach that person and they had a reason to talk to me. I mean, I, I don't encourage your listeners to call that guy and bother him. <laughs> but I think sometimes <laughs> if you're, you know, if you're calling him from like a press reason, like I, I was given access to folks who I might not be, uh, uh, wouldn't have crossed paths with otherwise. So that, that focus, the storytelling focus ended up, uh, being a nice motivating structure. Yeah. I think that's really powerful and uh, you don't have to be just for people listening. I don't believe that you have to be, you know, on a national TV show to to experience the benefits of creating a quest like this, and certainly talked to other people on the podcast and heard heard some similar things in terms of uh, getting to meet certain people that you wouldn't have gotten to meet before. And I find that people, it seems like when you have the interactions, people rally behind the cause, right? Like they don't even know you, and they're just like, "Oh man, you're going to every national park. Oh, that's so cool." It just kind of opens up a different sort of conversation, right? Yeah, that I think is. I mean. I, I always had this bit of 
it was like my secret weapon to deploy in a conversation where, and it's honestly, it still is where like people find that interesting. Um, during the trip, it was a fun thing to do because people would have recommendations. I mean, that was great to just talk about that. So yeah, I'm getting to talk to like people in a professional capacity who are rangers and stuff, but then just talking to that person in the dining hall at Glacier Bay National Park who happened to grow up in Montana near Glacier National Park. He's like, oh, this is where you got to go. This is what you got to see. The rangers themselves move around a lot. So when you're on a quest like that, because they so often do like two years at one park, two years in another, I would show up at Virgin Islands National Park and be like, oh, I know you. I heard about you from someone at Congaree. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Because yeah. it's a Virgin small world Island, when you get into it, right? World. I mean, yeah. yeah. In some ways. Um, and I don't want to give the impression either that you have to have the, the you know, a, a TV connection. It was just for me, it forced me to do something that I'm sometimes bad at doing as a tourist, which is ask questions and talk to people. You know, when, when it's your job to do it, then then you kind of have to. But the rangers who are there in the visitor center are there to be talked to. You know, the presentations that they do at the campfire at night, those, those are meant to be shared. And so uh, it, it forced me to talk to folks. But yes, anybody could if you're there asking that question, having those conversations that honestly, when I look back on it, that's what I remember more is the, the connections, both with other travelers, with, with people who work there much more than I remember any specific Vista or inspirational moment by, by a a lakeside or whatever. Hmm. Yeah. I I did have a question about some of the people you've met along the way. I I did want to pick your brain for all the content creators out there, as you know, I mean, a lot of people are creating content independently now, and I feel, well, especially in the travel space, but you could apply this to other things. There is an element of immersion that needs to take place in order for you to have the experience. But there's also this meta perspective of the story in your case, or that you know the things you might need to capture, or, or the things you might be looking for. I'm just wondering how you personally creating these segments and maybe you can walk us through how you, how you prepare for something like that and how you experience it as a traveler, but you also document it and, and, and not letting the documentation of it take you too far away from the present moment of it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that last bit, uh, resonates quite a bit. Um, and because of the constant nature of the quest, I was always trying to make sure I was experiencing the place where I was. So I, and really being present because the truth of what was happening is, especially because of how TV production works, something like YouTube or a podcast can be much more instant. But for me, I was frequently writing and preparing a story from a place I had visited months earlier um, to prep for that Sunday show. I was planning a thing months ahead of time because I think a lot of like content creators who may be online only don't have to do as much sort of uh, lead time kind of prep work for some, something like that, you know, but I'm having to like, if, if I want access to the, to, to interview the Denali kennels manager, I'm making that call months yeah. ahead of time, you know? Yeah. You so, need to get it all dialed in. That's a major it job. Still, and <laughs> it, and it, it made it easier once I got there, but, but this is all happening while I'm trying to experience great basin national park in Nevada, where I'm at, at that current moment. So I'm calling Alaska, right. writing about, you know, Florida, and trying to experience it's the, it's the work so that was travel the life balance thing. Right? Always. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just making sure I had a fun time. And so what was nice uh-huh. is that since only some of them were for work, the two thirds of the parks were just for fun. Those were for me. And those ended up being the days that I, I appreciated more. The book tells the story of all of them. So I did not set out to write a book at the beginning of this. I kind of in the back of my head, if I was like, you know, uh, being completely honest about my dreams. Yeah, sure. It occurred to me, but like how 
arrogant to think that I even could. I had no idea if I'd have the skill to. I didn't know if I would finish the quest, you know. So I just sort of kept that dream to myself. And I felt very lucky to, to be, you know, doing a few of them for work. Um, and then it was only when that year was over that I thought, okay, well, maybe I could, maybe I could synthesize this into something book length because I realized realized the perspective I had having gone to all of them and not just some of them was that I could see the threads that tied them together. Uh, what that meant practically was sometimes going back either in my mind or in my notes and sometimes physically to some of these parks that were just my for fun ones because they were not all, I, I think if I had to document them all while I, it was happening, it would have just been exhausting. Um, but to go back to a place like a Pinnacles national park, which was just like a fun hike that I did. Um, and with no, no camera, I mean, you know, this is all, all on my own to then tell that story in the book in a, in a way that feels equal to the ones that I did for the broadcast required a lot more sort of after the fact research and, and, and legwork there. But as the, as the trip was going on, it was nice to have those breather days where it's like, listen, I don't have to like to be uh, on my A game at Lake Clark National Park. I can just do it. I can just go on a fun hike, not get eaten by a bear, call it a day. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying <laughs> right. to constantly yeah. uh, do it's that. A mindset, it's a mindset, right? It's a mindset. And it was very much not about me. The book tells a lot more of my personal journey. Um, but the the as the year was going on, the, the broadcast stuff, if I'm doing my job well, it's not about me. I think a lot of folks who are in the content creation space, it is much more about uh identifying with with them and their journey whether it's like hey we're a family of five and we all live in an rv and like this is how we do it you know and there's and that's why people like that is 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 showing that peak behind the scenes and you identify with those people because otherwise if you just want to see pretty shots of any of these places those exist in in a better format you know filmed by national geographic years ago so it's why do i care about going to the grand canyon with that group or, or hiking this you know, trail in Tibet with somebody else. And so it's, uh, I don't know how good I'd be at that because my inclination is to not be super public in that, uh, capacity. So I, I compensated for that by finding people with extremely interesting stories and telling their stories. And mine was much more minimized. The book kind of splits the difference, you know, now, now that I'm putting uh, pen to paper, I can kind of delve into a little bit more of what I was thinking, but this is very much like Tell me what you're thinking, pupfish biologist in Devil's Hole. Who who cares about the night I had at the hotel last night? So, yeah, yeah, and I love how you broke it down. In a lot of these national park books, I mean, or any any of these type of travel books, a lot of times they'll do it by destination. Your chapters are like chapter one, sunrise; chapter two, water; chapter three, animals; chapter four, God. It's it's really cool. Chapter five, sound. I love that. It's uh, just such a creative approach to kind of. Take, taking such a massive amount of information and also travel experiences and putting it together in, in a very unique way. So anyway, congratulations on on the book, of course. Well, we've mentioned the people a couple times, and I think you know national parks are kind of known as, quote unquote, America's best idea. I have to agree with that on some level. But really, a, a lot of times it comes down uh, as dramatic as the scenery is and how epic it is. And it's awesome, but it's also the people, right? The rangers, the volunteers, the people you meet along the way. Was there anyone you met along the way that still impacts your life to this day? And, and if so, in what way? I mean, there's a number I, I keep in touch with. And actually, to go back to my my conversational Trump card that I thought, which is like, hey, guess what I'm doing? I'm going to all the parks. Like I, I <laughs> there was this couple I met at, at Canyonlands National Park where 
at some point it came up like what I was doing and, and they're like, where do you live? And I'm actually like, well, I don't live anywhere right now. I'm on the road. And they're like, oh, cool. We've been on the road for 11 years. I was like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> like I got out hoboed. <laughs> and so I was like, oh. Um, and so then I was just instantly oh, fascinated by them. T- Tony and Linda Oyster, the retired, um, great story where the guy like, it was on his last day of work. He was in some sort of like consulting-esque business in Florida. And it was, uh, he walked out the door got into the RV. His wife was waiting for him there and they haven't been back since they just hit the road. That was, that was probably now <laughs> 15 that. years ago. It's great. And they are just like, like they, and those are the kind of moments that happen on a trail. I mean, you, you pass like that people like that in cities all the time. And you're crazy if you wave and say hi, you know, there's, there's a, a, a type of conversation where you're, you're more likely to, to strike up with anybody, I think on a trail versus like a New York city sidewalk. But anyway, Tony and Linda Oyster, I was like, Oh my gosh, teach me your ways. Like what, what is this life? And they were just really, um, both interesting travelers and interesting people and sort of a model of like couple goals in a way where it's like, they, they have spent so much time together. And and so I, I got even some, some future relationship advice with them. So I have since stayed in touch with them, uh, because, they were just delightful. And then as I was writing their story in the book, that's something that never ended up on TV. I didn't have a camera with me. That wasn't a park we did for the show. Um, but I knew I wanted to tell that story in the book. And so I contacted them to basically have a, a version of the same conversation we'd had on the trail, but one where I was actually taking notes and making sure I had the facts of their, of their situation in life. Right. Um, and now, uh, you know, I, I use the real names of the book. And so people have been contacting them, apparently people from their life, people they went to high school with. So that's been sort of gratifying to hear that like now they're like somewhat mini celebrities in their, in their traveler world. Um, and then, yeah, some of the, the I mean, the Rangers, um, uh, I'm sure there is a boring park ranger out there. I've yet to meet that person. It just seems like to, to an individual, it is not a job you do for the money. You do it for the passion. Um, they, I mean, they've really figured out a way to, to, marry what they love and and what you know what will pay them um where uh they i mean yeah just just vastly different sometimes whether it's interpreting interpreting the cliff dwellings of mesa verde to running the kennels at denali um i've uh, i learned a lot from those folks have stayed in touch sometimes when i've had questions after the fact and then yeah just just other travelers you know uh um folks who wouldn't end up in, in a, a book or a TV segment, just, just random nice people. I met at like a, a, a lunch by myself in Denver. You know, those, those are still people who are in my life that I keep in touch with. So that's the great thing about traveling, especially solo travel is that you're more likely to, if you've just been in the car all day and haven't spoken to anyone all of a sudden, you know, let's, let's chat it up at Chili's. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's yeah did you, out. did you like the solo version, the solo travel version of this? Had you I done did. that before? I, a lot of solo traveling before, or I had because back when I was hosting that uh, the show on Current, which was like a weekly green screen show, I was fronting that. Whenever we'd have a week off, I felt a ton of pressure to have as much travel as I could during that week because uh, it wasn't a normal job where I could just plan my two week vacation and take it whenever. It's like no, this is you know, I was so front and center on that that I, now I had a chance to just go as far away as I could. But because of the random schedules of those dark weeks, is what we call them. Um, it would, it would rarely coincide with when another friend might have a week off. And sometimes they were sort of random and came up at the last minute. And so that sort of necessitated solo travel. Um, I got very into like the 
airline credit card, hotel points, all that stuff world. Yeah. And so I, it was, it was just sort of became language, a challenge yeah. of like, <laughs> oh, yeah, where can I maximize this? How can I cash this in in the most far flung way possible? Um, and so those were solo weeks, but but that's very different than solo months. Uh, and so I was lucky to have a mix of that plus like um, my my cameraman. I had a, a pretty consistent cameraman who I worked with throughout the year. Um, he was a friend before that and is a great friend now because that's a lot of time in a Subaru together where we would we would travel together and it was nice to have someone for at least part of the parks to share that experience with. We now have the most adorable like honeymoon album for two straight guys to have like, like we've been in some very romantic places together yeah. where like whether that's yeah. Virgin Islands National Park or watching a sunset that's- in Big Bend or or whatever like it, it, it is it's pretty cute <laughs> so yeah I, I used to manage a lot of different touring type events and music tours and things like that there was this one guy Gen C we we always uh, sort of were we're going on these little mini dates on tour because we're just all on tour together you know so we ended up going you know we both liked good food a lot of the guys that were on the tour were a bit younger than us and they wanted to go out partying all the time we're like we're just gonna go out for like this bomb meal and have some good wine and chat up some locals and whatever and it was a similar kind of thing it's just uh yeah <laughs> like you said it perfectly the the sort of the honeymoon photo album it felt like that yeah <laughs> we're also because of the places where we were um where uh, and I knew that he didn't know anybody there and I didn't either. So it's sort of like a forced friendship in some ways, but, uh, uh, you know, got along real well. So it was nice to have some time like that where I could say, Hey, remember that person like back at the grand Canyon? Like, what do you think they're up to? And like, like have some shared experiences and then also some time on my own. I would sometimes date on the road. I'd use the, the apps and all that stuff. And so that was interesting to like meet a local and, and in a place where I, you know, I'd maybe arrived to that town solo, but then, you know, had a coffee date or a dinner date or something like that was always a, an interesting Yeah, we're, we're not going to gloss over this part. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. <laughs> How, uh, yeah, because, well, this is a, a, a... Oh, no, here we go. No, I mean, this is a question because... You know, a lot of people listen to this show. You go out solo traveling. Again, they're not going for the two-week vacations, a lot of them. They're going for months and months. You're, li- you're taking your life on the road. So for the single folks out there that want to do some dating, is that, you know, do you, can you get into that? And are, pe- are people willing to meet up if they just know you're passing through town? I guess I guess so, right? I mean, yeah, and I was always, was an M, because I, I still travel uh, almost full-time, Um uh, always honest about that. You know, th- there's nothing to be gained by tricking someone. And then all of a sudden, you know, when the entrees arrive being like, so I have some news for you. I, I don't actually <laughs> live in, three days. in Santa Fe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, and, and I've had a variety of, of, uh, responses to that. One I completely understand and respect is, Oh, Hey, I'm actually looking for, you know, someone who lives here, you know, I, obviously that, that sh- should probably be the default response, but you know, every once in a while, because I think I'm maybe more inclined to make a plan, a quick plan, because I'm in town for a little bit of time, um, that especially in an online world where people can message back and forth endlessly with nothing actually getting accomplished to be able to say, Hey, what are you doing tonight? Like, like, do you want to go? I read about this cool ice cream spot, you know, down by the water. Would you like to go get ice cream? Like, like, I only got three days here. So you're going to take me up on this or not? That's (laughs) it. And and I think, I think, you know, if, if, if I, there were folks who would be, yeah, sure. Why not? And, And there are all different 
versions of that experience. I think because I'm not much of like a a bar and club type of person, when I went on those solo trips in the past, gosh, decades ago, like I would go to some of those places just to see like, what is a Berlin nightclub like? What is a Seoul Korean nightclub like? like I just, I just want to see it almost in the same way that I wanted to see the Taj Mahal, just like as a tourist attraction. But in terms of like chatting up someone there, I was bad about that. And and maybe I could tell myself it was a language barrier in another country. But in the US, I am very bad at that. I don't I don't enjoy that. I'm not walking up. Hey, uh, hello, can I buy something like so I think if not for the online version of this, I don't know how, how fulfilling that experience would have been, or if I would have done any of it, I don't think I would have rolled up to like and there's also you have to seek out those places maybe one's dangerous maybe one has a weird vibe like there's just a lot more research if you're going to a yeah. physical place it's it's, um, it's a nice way to connect and and if you're up for it and they're up for it and everybody knows the deal then right you know yeah no so the worries. online thing was a way to just sort of be like you know that uh it it, it, it worked suited my personality more where it wasn't just like randomly just shouting at strangers over loud music somewhere um, and, and, and could have like a meal because like, I'm happy to buy somebody dinner. Like, like it, it's, it's that, or, or I'm by myself, you know, like I'm not cooking, you know? So if, if that is almost the cost of, of admission to like learning about your town, you know, tell, tell me what are the things, tell me about what it's like to, to have this job in this part of the country I've never been to. Like if you're a curious person and, and I realize I'm saying this from a male perspective, there are a lot more like safety issues that I, that women have to deal with. So obviously I, I was never afraid that I was going to get stabbed on any of these, you know, or, or like it was, I, uh, I, I get that it, it is very easier for a guy to be like, yeah, whatever. What's the worst that could happen? Because the worst for me is not, not as bad. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was interesting. And, and sometimes it's an interesting little reality show that exists in your pocket where I have often, probably more often the case, not gone out with anybody and just opened up one of those apps to be like, all right, Spokane, what are you people into? <laughs> just flipping through and you're like, man, there's a lot of nose rings in Spokane, Washington. Was there a group on? Like, why? <laughs> why are there so many? Uh, where it's like every other picture. So like, are you certain learn, you learn certain like local sites that way where you're like, boy, everyone, po- where are these angel wing murals? Because everyone is posed beside of that. Like there is one thing that everyone tends to do. So uh, you start like, learning uh about about what people are into or at least how they present themselves um may, may not be that accurate so. well i mean you know don't worry we're not here to talk about the nose ring capital of america we're going to talk yeah. about the national <laughs> parks in sure. a second i, I just want to give a quick shout out to to what linda and tony is that what that is oh, that yeah. their names mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. you uh well just and just in case they're listening just give them some more they props yeah. and also uh, i love the term you used they out hobo to me so i'm totally yeah. gonna steal that <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i think that was the thing when i did my first solo trip and I got out hoboed left and right because I was I was gone for like two or three months, which was a long time for an American and everybody else I was meeting and he's Australians, oh I've been going for five years, mate, and all this stuff. I'm just like, wow, holy my mind was just blown. So uh anyway, it's fun getting out hoboed. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well and I think now there's more of a culture of young folks who might do that, you know, then it was like, I mean, they're, they're in their sixties, like they, it, the retiree version of it was interesting, you know, that, that they, they were, they were, they're, I guess they're technically van lifers, but in a different, you know, a, a different element, uh, than folks who may be doing it now. Sure. Let's get into some of your best national park 
travel tips. And and we're going to get into specific parks and I had some questions on destinations and things, but just overall tips. And I know right now it's, it's a lot, well, it must've been interesting traveling across the country at the time you did with in 2016 with the election and all this is not Yeah, I thought it was the most divisive uh, year in politics. What did I know? <laughs> right, <laughs> at the time, right. it seemed. You're, you were just over there gazing at nature and, and being lost in the wilderness. It, it's a lot different now because I think the national parks with, with everything that's going on with the pandemic are the place to go kind of right now for travelers. Like everybody's doing the staycation or whatever you want to call it. And I'm sure they were, I mean, the main ones are always crowded at, at peak season, right? But now more than ever, I think it's it's even crazier. So you know, I'm not sure if maybe you know. Obviously, this is going to pass, but uh, I just wanted to hear some of your sort of evergreen top travel tips for visiting national parks, getting the most out of them, and ha- just having a cool experience. Yeah. So to start, maybe with with the crowded ones. I mean, they're crowded for a reason, and there's a reason that that Zion and the Grand Canyon and places like that are popular. They're fantastic. Um, so with a spot like that, that, uh, you know, you, is there, you're going to have company, uh, getting up early. I know that sounds super basic, but like it, it makes a huge difference. Um, especially since you're there for the nature, you're not there for the nightlife of Springdale, Utah. You're, you're there to, to go out and see Zion National Park. And the difference between a 7am or a 9am and certainly a 9am to an 11am is vast. Not only are the parks better in the early morning, the wildlife's more active, um, you're going to be more likely to have it to yourself. This is something I don't always practice, but I do preach it, which is is wake up early, get there soon, and, and you'll it, it'll just be a very different experience than a, than a super crowded uh, trail later in the day. Uh, also, hiking a little bit further. Sometimes that parking lot can seem intimidating when you get to a spot that like is well known, but most people take a picture from the rim and they leave. And so, if you the second you hike more than let's say a mile from the parking lot, the crowds just kind of slip away. So what, what can maybe look crowded and feel crowded for that first mile gets much better the further you venture in. You venture in. So if you are physically able to do that, hike farther. Um, it's uh, something as simple as like pack a lunch. You're not there for the food. I mean, there's a few parks that have better food, food than you'd guess. There's a pulled pork sandwich at Petrified Forest National Park that is better than it should be um, that I, I still remember that years later. I was like, oh, huh, good, good job, friend of cafeteria in the park. But, you know, in most places, it's not like a trip to to a uh, Stockholm or something where, where you're trying to eat. There's, you're trying to do everything there. You want to see the museums. You also want to have the local lunch. You want to do all kinds of, of things. You can kind of give food a pass when you're in the park. Just take a sandwich and and spend more time out there. Because if you look at a cafe at a popular place like the Grand Canyon, I mean, there's a huge line for a very average soft pretzel. You don't need to do that. Like just bring your own thing and, and, and not worry about it. And then uh, exploring some of the off the beaten tracks one, the, the, the tips I think are more helpful for the, the popular ones. Um, but the, the less popular ones or the less popular trails um, don't feel like, you need to check off Angel's Landing at Zion just because it is a well-known trail. There are, are tons of other trails. The Arch at Arches National Park that's on the Utah license plate, Delicate Arch. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, honestly, you probably should see it. But like, there are a thousand other arches at that park. So it, it, it's not uh, it, not being so focused in, in these like marquee attractions. In, in the same way that like you can go to the Louvre and there's a lot to see beyond the Mona Lisa. Um, you, you don't have to, to see these specific spots. Um, 
So a bit of that, and also not focusing too much on peak season. Uh, there's not a bad time to be in a park. So it's it's go when you can spend the longest. And I'm I'm paraphrasing. Uh, actually, who says that? It's it's a nature writer who much more eloquent than I am um, has, has sort of expressed that same sentiment, which is like, yeah, it's it's the thinking that you have to be there when conditions are at their best. Like it matters for some of them. Um, if you want to stargaze at Great Basin National Park, yeah, you should go on a moonless night if you can. But uh, those shoulder seasons I found can be the best. Acadia is hugely popular in the summer. It is almost deserted in the winter when I was there. But I think the best time to probably go is like October or or May maybe or, or even April where it's it's not quite bustling yet. So if, if you can uh, go in the off season is, is also valuable. Well, let's talk about specific parks because there are so many. And I think you mentioned somewhere either in the book or I read somewhere, I, I think the term you used was it, it was a bit of a branding disaster because you have national parks and then national monuments and all, all these different things. So maybe just fill people in on the whole deal there so we know what we're talking about. And then we'll get into some specific park recommendations. Yeah, so the... To be a national park, which in most cases are the ones that you have heard of, like like a Grand Canyon, like an Everglades, um, that requires an act of Congress. So the National Park Service manages, it's a number that's always changing, but over 400 park units. And that can be national monuments, national seashores, national rivers, battlefields. So everything from like a couple of rooms in a house in Philadelphia to Glacier National Park, that's all part of the Park Service, all the same government agency, all in the Department of Interior. Uh, and very often, uh, they will rangers will work at all of those places. It's not like you need to be certified in one way to work at a certain type of park. So that's why it can be confusing from a branding perspective, because you see that person with the Park Service logo on their shoulder, wearing the flat hat, and you think you have been to a national park. Um and you have been to a national park site. It's a very subtle distinction. And actually, it's maybe counterintuitive as the guy who sort of built a whole year and, and book later on about going to all the national parks to say, eh, I want to focus so much on if they need to be national parks or not. Like that that helped me structure that journey. Also because to go to all the park sites is impossible in a year. You could never make it to all 400, some of those. There are a few who have done it in a lifetime. Um, but honestly, at that point, I would say, there, unless you're super into like Polish American history, you don't need to go to Thaddeus Kosciuszko National Memorial in Philadelphia. You know, like I, I would say every American should see a place like the Grand Canyon. Some of the park sites are very specific. They're all interesting. But if you're really going to prioritize that, if you're trying to go to all 400 some, I would say you're maybe doing that to the exclusion of very interesting state parks, forests, uh, just museums and, and other towns. Um, uh, but the... Uh, so the number was 59 when I went. Now there are 63. They've added a few. And those have all been rebranding. It's not like they've just discovered new land somewhere or protected it. So a place like White Sands National Monument became White Sands National Park. It's th That required an act of Congress, but really all, the sand stays the same. Very little has changed at that. Um, there are a few rules with the parks where uh, you can't hunt in a national park for the most part, although there's ones in Alaska where you can. It's It's... A, a little fuzzy um uh, you can't fly a drone in a national park so there's some rule-based things um but yeah that's that's the branding confusion so uh they 
and that would frequently be the not critique, but question I would get is like, Hey, when are you coming to Harper's Ferry? That's like, well, that's a national historical park. Right? It's, it's different. Um, Sorry, so, guys. Yeah, before I get the emails, I'm like, wait, how, how, how could you have possibly not gone to whatever Stonewall in New York? Like, yeah, that is, it, it is protected by the park service. It's a different thing. So. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Well, why should people visit the national parks? Yeah. Um, they, so there's a few, there's what you alluded to earlier of that sort of sense of pride. Um, I think it's valuable to realize that that is a, was and still sort of is a, a uniquely American idea. Um, certainly was to say, hey, these places that that should be for everyone. You know, let's let's look at what happened to Niagara Falls in New York. It got too touristy. Like, let's prohibit development for the most part. Take these places off the market. These these are for the enjoyment of all. Um, is something to be proud of, and they really are. They haven't always lived up to that idea, but in theory, you know that that is what they are supposed to be. And so, setting foot in them, I feel like is. It, it, regardless of your political party, what part of country of the country you live in, it can, it can really engender that sense of pride. Um, also to be able to disconnect. I mean, this is some of my personal bias seeping in, but like, I really value the opportunity to, to break away from technology and the chaos of, of a city life. You know, I enjoyed the time I spent in Los Angeles, but, um, to be able to, to, go three hours, three and a half hours from there, and then find yourself underneath these towering sequoias uh, in Sequoia National Park is extremely valuable. It's nature. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's just more of an argument for the value of nature, period. Uh, and so the parks are are a way to, to achieve that. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's the also the, the diversity once you've seen a few of them. And so if you do start to prioritize them, not as a, a year long quest, but as a, as a lifelong quest, not to get to all, but to get to some, you really get a sense of the, of that diversity of scenery. We're in the same country. Somehow we have the lava 
of Volcanoes National Park in Hawaii. We have the dry desert of Death Valley, the lush rainforest of Olympic National Park. Like they are so, so different. So that is a way in which the brand is almost deceiving because theme parks, for the most part, are all kind of the same. You know, there's there's like, I mean, I, I'm sure Disney versus Six Flags fans will argue with me, but like there's things that zip you around and go fast and there's overpriced turkey legs and there's cotton candy and like it's all kind of the same experience. But like that experience of being at Olympic National Park is drastically different than being at Great Sand Dunes, which is drastically different than being at Dry Tortugas. And so that uh, is, is also worth it's not, it's not, you've seen, you've seen one you have, you've seen them all is not how the parks work. So. No. Yeah. That's such an important point. Cause I, I was thinking about national parks as a term and it's easy to, I mean, if you haven't visited any of them to kind of lump it together, Oh, the national parks, you know, and, and just kind of when you start seeing them, the, the grandeur of the nature and the, like you said, the diversity, I mean, I don't really know another word to use that's better than that. It's just so incredibly diverse in so many ways. You almost can't believe that this is all within one country. Yeah. Right? It's, and part of that's because we're a big country. I mean, it's not really a fair yeah. fight in some ways when you compare us to like a, you know, a, a smaller European country, but like, uh, yeah, it's, it's remarkable uh that that they are so different and there's a diverse array of experiences you can have in them um take a park like uh voyagers national park in uh in minnesota that is a park that is largely water and really if you don't get out on a boat i feel like you haven't had that full park experience you know it is a park of fishing of of boating um of getting out to all these little islands out and around there um and so that is very different than what you might do at at a, at a park, uh, Wrangell St. Elias National Park in, in Alaska, one of the largest or the largest national park where there, I'd say you really need to get up in a plane. Um, if you can, if you can take a little flight seeing trip, which is, you know, a hundred, $150, um, for, for a limited amount of time, but that really gives you a sense of the grandeur. You're seeing glaciers, strap on crampons and walk out on a glacier, which you can do there. Like it's, there's something for you at these. So yeah, maybe, maybe you're afraid of the water and you don't want to get on a boat. Well, fine. I've got some sand you can sled down at great sand dunes. I've got, you know, there, there's, there's a variety. If you like wildlife, um, if you're a birder, uh, there is no right or wrong way to experience them. So I have some things that I prefer. There's some people who do the, the through hiking two week long trip out of the Isle Royal national park in Michigan. And then there's some people who enjoy, you know, playing catch with their family in a, in a meadow uh at at a mount rainier also fine there's no there's no right or wrong way yeah if you like heat you could go to death valley there's there's a guy that uh it's called the darth valley challenge i think it's a heat running thing have you heard about this there's a guy that dresses up in a darth vader costume oh, no. and runs uh-huh. a mile as fast as he can it, it, on the hottest day of the year or one of the hottest days of the year in death valley it's insane you know, I, I, I haven't heard about him specifically, although I do know there's a surprising European contingent who seeks out Death Valley for its heat. Like that's a park where I know I said that there's no bad season for him, but like you're in, <laughs> you go to Death Valley in July. What is wrong with you? Like 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 it is a much more pleasant experience in a February unless you're from Germany and for some reason they like or Italy. There's these places who just like 
they want to take their picture with the thermometer and feel what that heat feels like because there's no place right. in Europe that gets right. that hot, yeah. Um, yeah. And which just seems bonkers to me. But like, like, and the Rangers there, like, yeah, it's deserted in July except for the Germans. <laughs> like, they come and they want to get super hot. Uh, so that's. <laughs> That's, that's funny. That's we have some family in Germany, so I'll have to ask them, what's up with the, what's up I with bet the you they know someone where it's, I think it's German. It's Germany in Italy, but whatever it is, it's a, it's a, like Americans don't have the patience for that. I think we're like, yeah, no, you know, we're not, we're not going there in, in July, but, um, but it's also when kids yeah. are off school. So who knows there? I'm sure there's, there's still a that's funny. So Americans ago. Yeah. So, well, n- now, you know, when to go to Death Valley if you want to get your picture taken next to a thermometer. Yeah, yeah. Darth Valley Challenge is the name of that, the dark, by the that's way. That's hilarious. The that Darth Valley a, Challenge. That Crazy, out. man. Give us your hidden jam recommendations. And I was going to say three, but three to five, I'll let you decide because you must have some that are just kind of near and dear to heart that aren't the... Not that the main ones aren't beautiful and you shouldn't go see Grand Canyon or the Valley at Yosemite or, or any of that stuff. But uh, you talked about the crowds a bit and there is so much beauty and so many places to explore. I'd wonder what you would recommend for some of the off the beaten path type of places. Sure. Um, so really anything in Alaska with the exception of Denali, which gets a fair amount of visitors, those kind of all count as, uh, off the beaten path just cause it's more challenging to get there. Uh, and so, or it's at least perceived as more challenging. I think the year helped me shift my perception of Alaska because having lived in LA, for for almost a decade if i told someone i was going to new york for a long weekend they wouldn't bat an eye big whoop you know everybody does that you know but if i was going to alaska i might as well be bear grills as far as they're concerned that that would have sounded far that would have been my reaction to that it is the same distance and it's the same cost la to anchorage versus la to manhattan is it's the same flight and, and, and if anything an easier flight because you get to stay in the same time zone and so when i realized that i'm like oh my gosh why haven't i been going to alaska every year uh because there's so much to see uh, and so the, a, a few of the parks there, Wrangell St. Elias, I think, I mean, it's hard to call the largest national park in the country, a hidden gem, but I really do think it, it, it is spectacular. The least visited parks are also in Alaska. That would be, uh, Kobuk Valley and gates of the Arctic. Um, fantastic. And, and those are the ones where if you're on a quest to see all the parks for a lot of people, those are, those are the ones they tend to do last because they take so much doing even the national park of American Samoa, which is farther by far there's a commercial flight that flies there if you want to set your feet in in kobuk valley you're taking uh a a very small alaskan airline that's got like you know five people on the plane or something like that you might be chartering a plane to do some of those it's cool it's for sure cool um but honestly a lot i mean as remote and cool as it is, there's a lot of Alaska that looks like that. It's more of just a testament to the state. So in a way, I don't know if I'd say prioritize those because you may be spending a lot of money and time to get to a spot you could have gotten to easier. So really just anywhere in Alaska is great. I think Wrangell St. Elias is a good mix of accessible, certainly more so than those other two, but still feeling really wild and remote. Um, I uh, I mentioned earlier, but Great Sand Dunes, I think is is just very uh from a aesthetic perspective very stunning it looks like the sahara desert's been stuck into the rocky mountains it's just so different than what you expect uh not as popular as like a rocky mountain national park uh the um 
I mean, I'll give a plug for my for the the newest one, uh, New River Gorge in West Virginia, just because I think that's a state that, as someone from West Virginia, I'm often having to explain that it is a different state than Virginia. So <laughs> I'd say maybe the entire state counts as a hidden gem if people don't realize it's mm-hmm. its own spot. There's uh, a lot of beauty in West Virginia for sure. There is, yeah, and I think that just yeah. that you know, for what there's also a lot of negative stereotypes that sometimes get lumped in with it, and so for whatever reason, it's not on people's mind in the same way that like a, a Wyoming or a Montana might be. But I mean, what's nice is there's not, there's not a bad one in the bunch. I'd say Biscayne national park in Florida is, I think even to like South Floridians, not super well known. They would know Biscayne Bay, but they may not realize that there's a national park there. And part of it's because that's a national park that from the land is not particularly impressive. I mean, it just looks like the South Florida coastline. So you could get that view from anywhere real life, really. But the key to that park is is what's underneath uh, the water, uh, and so the that ecosystem that's protected, the coral reefs that's protected. Uh, I got scuba certified to go out and and do that and, and explore some of that park. So that I look back on it as one of my favorite experiences, and you couldn't imagine a more hidden gem in that you don't see it instantly. You, it's literally you, it takes hidden. A lot. It yeah. is literally hidden. You have to you have to <laughs> strap on a tank and, and spend three days in training and, and go down there to look. But when you do, there's an underwater trail. Um, there's there's different shipwrecks that you can dive to and, and learn some of the maritime history of Florida and also just see a cool uh, lot ton or a, a ton of cool uh, aquatic life. So yeah, that, that would be uh, the mix. But yeah, there's there's tons of great ones. I mean, even even Kings Canyon, which is adjacent to Sequoia. So if you've been to Sequoia National Park, you basically been to king's canyon but king's canyon is managed more as a wilderness so it's not as as accessible as sequoia i, I took a hike there uh last year uh that was spectacular so a lot of these i've revisited because it's i mean i could say i've been to all of them i've been to parts of all of them is really a more accurate oh, right there's summary, way too you know? i mean yeah it's, it's endless. Like oh yeah yeah and I, I know what italy's like i've been yeah. to rome you know have you <laughs> like, yeah. like there's you you, could, you <laughs> right. could spend a lifetime in rome and not really get it so yeah, that, that's those are wonderful recommendations. Um, national park towns can be interesting, I would say, in some ways. I, I almost find the the kitschy, touristy vibe to be quite fun and, and charming in, in a way. You know, you can get your fudge, <laughs> you can get your ice cream. I mean, some of these are over the top in that way. But uh, do you have a favorite national park town, a place that's adjacent to the park that you really enjoyed staying in? Yeah, good question. Cause they don't all feel like national park towns. So like a, a Springdale, Utah, for example, is very much a national park town. You know, that, uh, that is adjacent to Zion. Most of the people in the diners, there, the people who are eating the, what do they call it? Bumbleberry. There's a pie place that sells bumbleberry pie, which is a made up berry. Like if you read the like description of bumbleberries, it's, it's like a, a joke, basically. Like an it's like a jackalope. Pie shop. Right. Yes, exactly. It is yeah. the jackalope of, 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 <laughs> of filling. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but take a, like a Montrose, Colorado, which would be the closest town to Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park. I don't, I mean, it doesn't really feel like a park town. Um, even Carlsbad, New Mexico, which would be where you'd stay if you were going to Guadalupe Mountains National Park or, or Carlsbad Caverns it's, I mean, there's a bit of that there. So I'm trying to think in terms of pure park towns, I mean, Springdale comes to mind just cause it's so, cause even Yosemite for that matter, like Yosemite Valley almost is a town in itself. Um, Oh, what's the town uh, by the Grand Canyon? 
it's it sounds like Tucson, but it's not. It's like Tuseon or something, which is the town right before you get to Grand Canyon. Um, very expensive McDonald's. Oh, that's what I remember about that place. <laughs> um, uh, the I'm trying to think of one where the town itself. I mean, like West Glacier, Montana. I was going to say Flagstaff could be a town that's not, it's not right next to it, but it's it's a it's a nice sort of college town that's cool to visit. And you're in the vicinity. Yeah, that's almost a different thing. Like if I was going to move to a place, like right. for sure Flagstaff over a lot of these. Yeah. Or I mean, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. You, obviously you've got a Colorado connection. Would you, like, I guess Estes Park is the Rocky Mountain National Park town. Yeah, I mean, that's but the like, one I think about when I think of the cheesy kind of national park town in some ways. But but charming in a way. But charming, yeah. No, I yeah. like Estes Park. Um, and But I mean, then it, like, the... You could argue even Denver is the town for that. You know, certainly Boulder. Like, like the, the pe- people come from from all of those. Um, Estes Park. Uh, I went back to after the year of the parks and did a whole separate story uh, for Sunday morning on a place called the Bald Pate Inn, where they they their rafters are just covered with with keys. So the idea used to be like as a loyal guest, we will give you the key to the hotel. So they would give away keys when you went home. And then that quickly became unaffordable. And so instead you leave a key. So when you come to bald pay, you, you give them a key. It could be a key to your old Corolla. It could be a key to the shed behind your house, whatever it is. And they put, you write a story on, on that key. And so, and they, they divide them by, by states. So they just walk around and you find your home state. There's keys and stories. And those stories are often really cute. It's like, Oh, this was the first cottage my wife and I shared, you know, when we were, whatever. Um, and some of them are like commemorative keys where like people, there's a key to like the bathroom at the Smithsonian or something that someone sent in. So that, that is a very kitschy, but, but also fun, um, mountain town, town, town kind of place. So yeah, maybe Estes Park actually. Estes Park has got a good mix of like, there's some stuff to do. It's also pretty on its own, which Springdale is as well, where like you can never set foot into either of those parks and just look out your balcony and be like, okay, I'm in a pretty place. Whereas as nice as, uh, sure i was pronouncing it wrong but to say on i think that the, the town at the base of the grand canyon you don't really get it until you drive into the grand canyon not that it's not that it's an unattractive town but like like the scenery of the rocky mountains you're already in it when you're in estes park it, right. it, it's uh you can kind of get it same thing with a lot of the utah yeah places, i mean that so. there are so many iconic lodges as well in the national parks i'm not sure if you got to stay yeah. in any of those but just such beautiful big beautiful wood and you know all this history and everything and uh, that's a that's in and of itself a, a nice national park experience to have at least once. I feel absolutely, and that's really of all these things the thing you have to plan for the most. I, I did not get to do that as much as I would like. I, I have on other trips, but since I was so in motion throughout the year and I didn't quite know when I was getting to a place, if you want to stay on the rim at the Grand Canyon, it books up a year in advance. So if you want to stay at that Bright Angel Lodge or whatever that it's it's tough to sort of do a, a last minute version. They don't they don't take the Hilton points. Uh, at a, at a spot like that. So, um, but, uh, the nicest by far is actually it's closed right now and I'm not sure if it'll reopen, but Keneal Bay is a hotel in the Virgin islands. Um, Lawrence Rockefeller, who was largely responsible for why Virgin Islands national park became a national park. He bought up or coordinated some buying of all that land. Two thirds of the Island of St. John is a national park. Um, uh, when he donated that land to the government, he had one rule, which was that they let him run a luxury hotel inside of it. And so he did. Uh, and so Keneal Bay is this, it feels so 
different than every other national park place you might stay and also costs quite a bit different rooms at Keneal Bay can be $1,500 a night. If you're staying in like the, the largest of the cottages minimum, they're three fifty, Um, and there's sushi and there's massages and it's just like, what, how is this technically in a park? Um, and it is, uh, but, uh, that got hit hard, uh, by, uh, was the hurricane from a couple of years ago? Is it, was it Maria? Um, but it, it has not reopened uh, since the since the hurricane, so they're they're trying to figure out what to do now. And Rockefeller doesn't own it anymore, but um, that is it was a very uh, unique national park lodge experience. But the classic ones that you're talking about, that would be more likely at like a Zion or or Rocky Mountain or or Paradise in uh, uh, Mount Rainier. Those kind of rustic, dark wood. A long, long time ago, I got to stay at the Old Faithful Lodge. I don't know if it's called the Old oh, Faithful Lodge, yeah. but the one right next to Old Faithful and. Yellowstone mm-hmm. and that was that was a shoulder season type of situation got lucky got a room with shared bathrooms and just got to stay in there it was just so memorable you know just to be around that old wood and and feel the history and and to be able to hear I mean you mentioned like one of the chapters being sound uh, it's a it's uh, I guess I'm a podcaster so whatever I like audio but it's something that's very I think underrated when you're exploring sounds of a place and if you think about places that way and i think national parks and nature in general is a there's that whole component right of of a journey i mean well listen we could we have a lot to talk about with national parks we can go on and on so i don't want to keep you forever but um just a couple more things because the the genesis of the trip was sort of the this this kind of breakup and difficult time and 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 that was at least the genesis of the idea and, and, and what brought you out on the road and then of course it led to all this other wonderful stuff. And now you're a bit of a mini national parks ambassador, which is kind of cool. It's fun to represent, I would imagine. And, uh, you know, I'm just wondering, did the trip help to heal you in some ways in the ways you were hurting? And, and I guess the overall question would be, you know, is, is travel healing and why? Yeah, I, I think it definitely did. Um, I needed that that change of scenery, uh, which could have occurred just through moving across town. So I, I went overboard in that department, but really that was helpful to just sort of break out of a routine. I think there were you know, some months after that breakup when I was still living in Pasadena where you know, you'd know you walk by the, the, the crummy pizza place at the end of our block and I'd be like, that's where we got our pizza together. Right, so yeah. it's nice to it's just hard like- to see those just, things again. Yeah. Yeah, to like to just get out of that. Um, and, right. and they just be reminded of, of the good in the world that there are other, I mean, heck, if there's other fish in the sea, I went from sea to shining sea, you know, and, and, and sort of had that entire experience. So, um, that, that I think was helpful. Um, and yeah, those, those moments to just sort of sit and be with yourself, um, in, or, or on, you know, the, the thoughts that you have on, on a long hike, uh, uh, the perspective that that gives you, um, that simultaneous experience of feeling connected and also, uh, and, and on your own and sort of seeing like you're, I mean, it, it's hard not to, to feel, to have, to have some perspective on your place in the world when you're standing on the rim of a Grand Canyon or someplace like that, where you can see that, that, uh, that experience. But I mean, that's, that's sort of, I guess I'm talking more about the parks there. I think travel in general though. Yeah. It it is healing because of the, like, because of the self-reliance that it inspires because of the conversations it forces you have because of the broadening of your perspectives where it's just, 
you, you realize that it's not all about you all the time. You know, you're, I think it's helpful when Americans travel abroad, we're like, Oh, huh, there's other ways of doing things like good job, Norway. That's, that's an interesting way of handling that problem. Um, I think that that's helpful. So that's, that's a kind of a muddled answer. Sorry. But like the, the short answer is yes. Like I do feel like it was healing and, and to articulate exactly why is hard because I think I'm still, I don't know if I have the perspective even now to look back on say exactly how it was, but I do know that when I, when I finished that year and I, I ended up watching the final sunset in the country at Point Race National Seashore, it is where the sunsets last. It was the longest year you can possibly have in the contiguous United States. And and I loved every second of it. And and it when I ended up at that seashore, like it just felt like that's where I was supposed to be. I, I still didn't exactly look at it as a silver lining, but I now can't imagine my life having gone any other way. And, and it really has shifted um, the way that, that I've lived my life since the, the park you're finished. I've stayed out on the road. I've been on the, on the road for the last five years. Um, so really? even you though just never stopped. Yeah, it's, I never stopped, which is almost, it's not even cute anymore. Now it's just strange. <laughs> where it's, well, it's continued I mean, on. Did, did you um, not ever get an apartment again? Have you been fully nomadic? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so honestly, I was ready to do it when COVID hit. And then, then I felt like I'd been training for this thing that everyone else was having to learn for the first time. And I'm like, well, I'm already remote. So let me just stay at it. Um, so yeah, I wasn't quite when that year finished, uh, I don't know. My stuff was still in storage or just gone. And so I thought, well, let me keep giving this a try. And I've now been lucky enough to see national parks in other countries. I did a story in the Galapagos. I did a story in the Seychelles and each of those months just seemed like not the right month to get a full-time place again. Uh, and so I've, I've stayed out for far longer than I envisioned. So, uh, it's, yeah, that's, that's, I I'm ready to be done with that, but boy, have I had a, a wonderful time of, of, yeah. Are, are, is that what's Not next for you? Are you ready to kind of get a home base and chill out I think somewhere? So, yeah. I, I think part of mm-hmm. the, uh, the delay and again, COVID's complicated that, but even if you looked at like the three and a half, four years of, of constant roaming before then, I think it was realizing that I could be based anywhere. It was almost, uh, uh, there, there was too much choice because I used to think, Hey, it was New York or LA. And I preferred LA for, for television. Um, and then once, and I think even my, my boss would have probably thought that. And then once I proved over the course of that park year that, Hey, I can do this job from anywhere. I don't have to be based in one place. I think he saw some value in that. And he's like, okay, great. And as, as grateful as I am that his, the way he's come down on this is yeah, live wherever you want to live. Then it's like, Oh my gosh, where do I want to live? Like, should I, maybe I should live in Moab. Should I live in Estes Park? Maybe I'll move into the Bald Pate Inn. You know, like that sounds great. I'll have a key or whatever. Like it's, it's very hard to, to decide. And so I, I think I've, I've overanalyzed that many, many times over where I'm like, yeah, should I be in this spot or another? But well, I mean, uh, you see year, so many beautiful places you want to, and you, that's the problem. I wish I didn't heart. know. I need it's to flashy to thing not. myself and Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hard uh, because now, yeah, now, now I know what's out there and, and it's tough to, to pick one, but there are some benefits to having uh, a home base socially, emotionally, like there's a lot of what the obvious benefits of the travel life were, were all that newness, the, the experiences it's the downsides are much subtler, I think. And they, they sneak up on you, or at least they did on me where it's, you find yourself a little more tired at the end of the day and you realize it's because of all the decisions you've had to make all day long. Like, you know, tonight where you would plug your phone in 
because it's the same place you've plugged your phone in every night for the last month and potentially last years. Like, I don't know where the outlets are in this Hyatt in Tempe, Arizona. You know, I have to find them. And like the little things like that, like I used to know 30 gas stations in between my home and my work. Now I'm Google mapping those every time I'm in a new place. And like, it's easy. Each one of those things is, is small, but it's like when they all add up to a point where you're like, oh, huh, why am I a little bit more exhausted? And I, I think it's a bit of that. Yeah. So. No, I understand. It reaches its... I spent over a decade living nomadically and it, it kind of reaches its natural conclusion in some ways looking back, but also it, I was fighting it for a while and I think it was hard to settle down afterwards for a long time, you know, like you can take the guy off the road, but you can't take the road out of the guy or something. I don't know. It was uh, not easy, but are you leaning towards a particular place to go or... You know, I spent the, this past uh, summer and fall in the Pacific Northwest, so still oh, yeah. slightly nomadic in that, like, this is all back when I thought there was going to be, like, we all thought there was going to be a vaccine in July of 2020 or something. We didn't know, you know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah. yeah, maybe it was unclear how, how long COVID was going to be with us. Um, and so looking back on it, what I should have done is just booked a place for, like, four months. The, what I ended up doing yeah, was moving every few weeks. Yeah, oh, which okay. actually yeah. was it let me experience a few different neighborhoods, but um, there was a cost savings argument to my old life where if, if back when I was traveling full time for work, like it would be two weeks of the month would be on work's dime. And then the other two weeks would be on my own dime. And so even if I'm overpaying, which you always are, if you're staying in an Airbnb, you're paying someone else's mortgage. But like in that case, I was still coming out slightly ahead versus what a full month would be living someplace else. I was never double paying for something. Anybody who has a more traditional life lives in a home, you're paying for your house and you're paying for that hotel in Hawaii at the same on the same night. For me, I was only paying for the hotel in Hawaii, if that makes any sense. So it was it was always it was very an optimal use of where I was. Um but now it's kind of just the worst case version of that because now I'm just constantly overpaying for things. Um, so it started to get, so it's just for a variety of reasons, lifestyle cost, it just, it really isn't cost effective anymore. Um, but it has been nice to be mobile in a pandemic. Um, so we're not really flying anywhere for stories right now, but as someone who's been able to drive from place to place, I've been able to cover some areas of the country that we wouldn't have represented otherwise on the broadcast, but I really do like the Pacific Northwest a lot. I mean, I still, I still like LA a lot. It's just, I've had to judge it a lot more on its own merits. It's one thing when you're 21 and you're like, okay, this is where the Hollywood sign is. This is where I'm going. Time to do it. Um, and so all of the negatives of LA, the traffic, the expense, the Kardashians, all that sort of the vibe of LA that you, you may not like, like it almost wasn't worth thinking about that because who cares if, if, if that's the downside, this is where I need to be. It would just be depressing to think about now. I am much more brutal about, about a, a city's merits. Uh, and it's fine. There's a lot of pluses for LA, but if I choose it, then I'm choosing all those negatives too. Um, which is maybe too much pressure to put on yourself when it's like every place has pros and cons and boy, the emails I get from, uh, uh, Zillow and Trulia and all those real estate websites, I'm sure there's someone where I've like just broken the algorithm where like one day I'll get an email where it's like, okay, here's a condo in Denver a house in Edmonds, Washington, 40 <laughs> acres in West like, Virginia. Like, cause I Googled all those things. That's <laughs> I think most people are like looking for like one school district, one type of home, so much yeah. footage, but I've since looked all of those that like the search algorithm. Like, all right, guy, like maybe I think you want like a duplex well, you're trying, you're, you're trying to go from every national park, traveling all over, doing all this stuff to 
like being the guy who studies the one type of bacteria in the yeah, devil's exactly. hole, you that's know, <laughs> when it. you live somewhere. So, so that's, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, the struggle is real, you know, in the, in a sure. hashtag first world problems way, but it's, uh, Oh, I'm so fortunate that that is my case <laughs> that, that I can get to choose, but it, in a way it's almost pressure to choose wisely. It's like, wow, how lucky am I that it can, that I have some flexibility in location. Although I do think that a lot of folks now have that flexibility. It, it was like, I've taken a while to make my choice, but like, I think now a lot of folks you're going to find in the same boat. And all of a sudden then the Columbus, Ohio's of the world start looking pretty good. Cause it's like, all right, well before you couldn't really live there and work for Amazon, but now, yeah, why not make Seattle money and live in Ohio? Um, and there's a lot of good in places like that. So I think I have, I will now have more, uh, uh, I don't know, not more colleagues. If you want to say that, or like there, there will be more kindred spirits in more traditional occupations not just the former nomads of the world making the same decision right now. Well, uh, yeah, if you're going to Pacific Northwest, get ready for the nose piercing. And, and I'll also say uh, just a suggestion. (laughs) If, if you want to do another mission type thing, you might want to consider just going to every Chili's in America and trying the the dish of choice and just picking up the nuances (laughs) of, of it all. And, and then really just picking the best one and just, you know, find a subdivision nearby and just settle That's down, it. man. Live the life of leisure. <laughs> Proximity to change. I need mean, really, there's, there's, yeah, uh, home prices, <laughs> school districts, and proximity to yeah. Chili's. I will make yeah. sure I, I there you that go. <laughs> well, uh, why don't you uh, just, just let everybody know about your book, where they can find you, and all that good stuff? Because we want we want people to go pick up this book. It's awesome. Uh, it's called Leave Only Footprints, My Katie Design Journey Through Every National Park. Uh, you can find it anywhere you can find books. There's an audio book. There's an e-book of it. Uh, the paperback uh, is, is just coming out now. So uh, many different ways to uh, to experience that if you're, if you're interested. Uh, and then uh, CBS Sunday Morning is the show. It's a magazine-type show, so some weeks some of us are on it, some aren't. Um, so that's that's a harder thing to predict exactly when, which Sunday. But what's nice about it is... Uh, you will like it any Sunday that yeah, it is a, a hodgepodge. If you're a curious person, if you're a traveler, there's, there's just, there's something for everyone in that broadcast. So um, it's an awesome show. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And uh, we're going to try to find a story over here in Norway so we can get you over here and do a part two in person. That'd be fun. Yeah, please. I'd love that. We, I came to uh, uh, Copenhagen wants to do a story on salty licorice. So part two will involve a salty licorice tasting for sure, because I am, <laughs> I don't know if your palate has adjusted living there now, but oh man, it is nasty and they all love it. No, I cannot stand the licorice. My wife loves it. You can't it, do it. That's a, yeah. no, and she likes put Well, and then your children though. I mean, are they going to like, mm-hmm. are you breeding new salty? I wonder where their taste buds will land being part American. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to get them to get them on board to be a fan of the Philadelphia Eagles football team. I, I don't know. Okay, I, well, I, you know, if, there's you, the food, if, you, there's if a, you win that fight, then you're going to lose the licorice fight. I guarantee there's, you there's a lot of different then. battles going on in this house right now <laughs> with the, the U S versus Norway. But um, yeah, I'll leave yeah. that for another time. Thank you so much, sure. Connor. Yeah, and, uh, Thanks for having really me. appreciate your time. Congrats on everything in the book and uh, suggest everybody pick it up. Hope we get to do a part two at some point. You bet. Thank you. All right. Take care. have it. I want to thank my guest, Connor Knighton, for stopping by and sharing his wisdom from the road and his time traveling to every national park over the year. Pick up that book. It is incredible. And check him out on CBS Sunday Morning. Really one of my favorite programs out there. And he does an incredible job of 
putting together segments. In fact, I just saw one he did with one of my travel idols, Rick Steves. It was a wonderful interview. So check out his work. And thank you once again to him. And thanks to you, my friend, for being here, for hanging out, and being a part of the Zero to Travel listening community, the caravan, this worldwide caravan of listeners. You are not alone, my friend. You're joining many, (laughs) many thousands of people around the world, and I'm so fortunate to have this platform. And I do because it's a community-powered show. This is your show, and I always invite you to get in touch. You can drop me a line anytime, jason at zerototravel.com. I do have a shout-out I want to give to somebody in the community. This one is from Sarah who said, Hi, Jason. Zero to Travel has become my go-to podcast now when I go out on my walks. It's a wonderful alternative to the crazy political podcast I've been listening to last year. Yesterday was a beautiful day in Jersey City, New Jersey, and I went for a seven-mile walk while listening to a podcast from September of last year with travel guide writer Joe Cummings. So thank you for all the wonderful interviews and information. She goes on to say, My husband, Evan, and I retired in the summer of 2019. We sold our home in Florida and gave away 95% of our possessions, including two cars. Our plan was to travel in Europe for a year. We wanted to start our retirement journey by walking the Camino Santiago de Francis. We left the U.S. in September 2019 with a backpack, and we walked 500 miles across Spain. Walking the Camino was a life-changing experience. After that, the plan was to travel throughout Europe for at least a year. Sadly, we had to return back to the U.S. in mid-December for a funeral. We returned to Europe in January to continue our journey. Once again, our travels were interrupted in March because of COVID. Over a year later and becoming hopeful that we can return to Europe in late summer or early fall of this year to continue our retirement journey and new way of living. We are fully vaccinated, but still careful and cautious. Goes on to share her pandemic golden lining, which is coming back home and getting to spend time with their grandkids. So it's always nice to find a silver lining or a golden lining, as she said, in these types of situations. So thank you so much, Sarah and Evan, for checking in. They are premium passport members. Looking forward to meeting them in our online meetup in a couple days. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations on your most recent travels and your upcoming travels. Sounds like you have a lot of ventures ahead of you, which is super exciting. So check in. You all have stories to share, stories to tell. I want to hear them. I just want to get to know you and make this a two-way conversation. Like I said, it's a community-powered show. Need you guys as part of this. Otherwise, there is no show. I do this for you each and every week for, oh gosh, coming on eight years now, which is crazy. Okay. Got a couple more things to get to, as I promised. I want to talk about lazy days out on the road, those lazy days that I've come to really appreciate. And Connor and I talked about a bit in the interview with the laundry days and how essential it is to give yourself time off. And what I just wanted to suggest here, or just to remind you about, and myself, these are always reminders for for myself as well, is to not feel guilty when you take those lazy days. Make them guilt-free. You want to hang out in the hotel, not see a darn thing, and watch Netflix all day just because you're tired of traveling. You need a break. You don't want to run around and see the sights. You want to just chill. You want to go eat at a chain restaurant and (laughs) have your favorite burger that you haven't had since you were 15 years old. Whatever. Do it. Just do it, man. Do it. And don't feel guilty about it. We all need those lazy days out on the road. And I think that they can be rejuvenating in many ways and can help you recharge because when you travel for a long time or an extended period, sometimes you 
you need a break. You need a vacation from the vacation, as they say. And that's one way to do it within the trip. So that's it. Don't feel guilty about those lazy days you spend out on the road. Maybe you're listening to this and spending a lazy day right now. Thanks for spending it with me. (laughs) Okay. Uh, A couple more things. I'm going to leave you with a quote, but I do want to share my favorite off the beaten path national park. This is a place I visited many years ago. And I think it was just so shockingly beautiful. I I was so kind of taken aback and taken off guard because I did not expect to see brilliant blue water in this area of the U.S. I just didn't expect it. I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't expect to see cliffs and brilliant blue water. I, I just kind of have in my head that that's like a Mediterranean landscape, for example. Uh, yet, when I traveled into Munising, Michigan, and went to Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore, wow, what a beautiful place. Hiked along Lake Superior there, and it's just a wonderful scenic trail. You got the cliffs. You got this incredibly blue water of the lake. It's all just so inviting and wild feeling in some ways. And, and it just was such a surprise. I felt like it was really, truly an, a, a hidden gem, at least to me, because I don't live in that area of the country. And maybe the people that are around there, oh, yeah, well, of course. Pictured rocks. Yeah, it's awesome. But... When you think of national parks, you often think of Yosemite, Yellowstone, all these big ones, and there are just so many beautiful areas to explore. So whether you have a lot of experience exploring in nature or you have none, get out there. Get in nature. What a calming thing it is. Let us remember the power of nature, the power of nature to heal, the power of nature to calm, to to release and relieve stress, to give us a sense of self, a sense of our place in the world, a reminder. So many wonderful things about just being in nature. It really is a gift and essential as far as I'm concerned. It it should be an everyday part of all of our lives. Get out in nature because it will calm you. And this is just a friendly public service reminder Because if you haven't been getting out enough, get out. It does wonders. It does wonders. That'll be my challenge to you. Should I start throwing challenges in the end of these podcasts? If so, you can reach out and let me know. But if I'm going to throw a challenge out today, it will be that. Get out in nature today. And that can be just a little patch of woods near your house or whatever. Walk around your neighborhood and just appreciate the nature around you or get over to a state park if you have one nearby. Whatever you can do, get out in nature today no matter what the weather. All right, I am going to reach into the quote drawer and wrap this up as I leaf through my little Zen calendar, randomly rip one out. And I've got a Sufi saying, it says, I searched for God and found only myself. I searched for myself and found only God. I'll leave you with that. Interpret that as you will. Maybe nature is your God. Maybe something else. I don't know but I'll leave you with that to ponder. Nice light question to ponder at the end of the episode. All right. Thank you so very much. Oh, one last thing. I think the best travel deal in the world, I should have mentioned this at the top, is the National Park's annual pass. Oh my gosh. What an insane deal. You get access to all the National Park's for a year and 
it only costs $80. That to me is the best deal going and you also support the parks. So even if you're visiting just one park this year, if you want to support the national parks, just get the annual pass. It's 80 bucks. I mean, opens up a whole world of adventures for you. All right. I promise that is the last thing. I'll let you go now. Have a wonderful day. Smile. Get out in nature. Peace and love. We'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 